You're listening to the Screening in Kingston podcast, recorded in Kingston, Ontario, Canada, at CFRC, 1019 FM, Queen's University campus. Okay, Taylor, um, I have to say something before we get started with this, uh, this episode. I think that there are a lot of uncertainties in our world. There's a lot of things that are unknown. And there's a lot of Uh decisions that are made in life that I don't understand where people are coming from and I completely disagree with. Um, If there is one decision or thing in life that makes the most sense to me, it's Nicolas Cage being cast to play Joe Exotic. (laughs) Because about two seconds into watching Tiger King, I went... Brilliant. Like, I, I can't think like, of a more perfect pairing. <laughs> I wonder, um, I should have done a little bit of prep work. Joe Exotic had other people in mind. To play him? For, yeah. I wonder how much of a okay, say wait. he's going to have then in the end. That's interesting. Um, I mean, I don't know. Like, they probably already sold um, his life rights, right? Oh, like, I'm sure. To the documentarian. So I doubt he would have any say no. in terms of the miniseries. But um, his picks were Brad Pitt or David Spade. <laughs> and, but visually, like, visually, like, Brad Pitt, like, the Brad Pitt is kind of like the handsome version of Joe Exotic. Yeah. And David Spade is like, I could get the comedic, like, in terms of acting. Definitely. But I'm a big David Spade fan. So. Oh, yeah. David Spade uh-huh. could work in the role, I think. I mean, I mean, okay, Brad Pitt's a great actor, so I'm sure he'd be able to do it. Um, but, yeah, objectively, I don't think Brad Pitt is, is, the, is the right pick it's, for Joe Exotic. It's, well, it's obvious where he, was, he went with the, um, like, the flattery, like, who, you know, like, who would play me in a movie? Obviously, I'm going to pick the hot person to play me in a movie, oh, right? Oh, for so sure, yeah. Brad Pitt's pick. And yeah. then maybe the David Spade pick was more of a... Realistic. Um, person. Yeah, the more realistic. <laughs> well, I, I just, so, you know, I have to say, I just, uh, every time there were, mainly I saw it in the talking heads. So whenever Joe Exotic was, was talking, had his talking head moments to the camera in the documentary, or when he was performing and kind of at yeah. center stage, I saw Nicolas Cage. Like, you know, when you can just hear the voice and you go, yeah, 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 I can see this. Like I, it happened to me all the time when I was, when I was casting shows, I, someone would walk in to read for a part and I would just be like, I, I hear it. Like, I hear this character. It makes sense. It makes total sense. And and Nick Cage playing this role just makes so much sense to me. And honestly, I'm relieved to just have that. In a world of uncertainties, I am relieved that I now have the one of the things that I'm most certain of ever. It's, it's the one thing that makes sense in this crazy, crazy world. <laughs> yes, it absolutely does. Um, I mean, it's it's going to be an interesting conversation. We're going to get into Tiger King. That's the theme of our episode uh, this week, finally. I mean, we're a little late to the game because I uh, didn't watch it when everybody else did. You yeah, did, though. Hip. I did. I watched it, I think, like maybe three or four days after it came out on Netflix. Yeah, so you're more hip than I am. You were connected <laughs> into this from the beginning. I was, yeah. It's been a big talking point for a lot of my friends and I. So 
Well, I'm very interested to, to hear your thoughts on it, too, because I'm very curious to see what you thought of this thing. It's been something, let me tell you. But, <laughs> yeah. yeah, why don't you tell us what we're going to do today? What, what's the setup? Well, we're, we're going to talk Tiger King. I mean, that's obviously like the, the main point. And you gave me a challenge to put a fan cast together for the rest of the miniseries starring Nicolas yeah. Cage. So we're going to do that as well. We do have a few fan questions, which we will kind of kick off with that. I do want to quickly send a note out, though, to Nikki and Lily. You both wrote in this week, but what you're asking and what you're talking about actually really relates a lot to what we're doing next week. So I'm just letting you know we're bumping your fan questions. Um, we didn't have a lot of fan questions that came in today, but the reason why I'm bumping you is just because you are talking about um, actually the first kind of new movie that has come out uh, since quarantine that Taylor's going to be reviewing for us next week. So uh, that's, oh, the, that's the Lovebirds, yes. Uh, so they have questions yeah. and thoughts specifically around that movie. So we're bumping it to next week because that that will be next week's episode. Um, so we will get into some fan questions. We will do the fan casting of the Tiger King. We will both give our reviews and thoughts uh, on on that series. I also want to um, talk a little bit about a couple other Netflix things. I started talking about hashtag Black AF last week, but we ran out of time. So I do want to revisit that a little bit and maybe even talk about some other Netflix series because we don't usually talk about that on this show because we're movies. Um, but yeah. there, you know, this is a Tiger King episode, so might as well dive into other Netflixy things as well. Um, so yeah, I think we'll do fan questions first. We'll move on to some Netflix series chat, and then we'll dive deep into Tiger King for the rest of the episode. And I'm sure that conversation will keep going because there's, there's a lot to say about this. Um, and I can't wait! I can't wait for you to unpack it, Taylor. I. I was really, I don't know, I mean, you can tell, because you, you had to basically explain what the series was. I was not expecting any of this. Like, I really wasn't. I don't think anyone, <laughs> I don't think, no one can do the show justice no. by explaining it to no. someone else. You can't, you can't just it. explain it. You have to watch it and then go, wait a minute, what? Because when we're explaining it and we're going to talk about it, and we're going to go into some detail. So maybe light spoilers. Let's give a light spoiler alert to people that we are going to talk about some things about, uh, about Tiger King, so if you're the two people, um, I guess one left because I, I was I was one it. of them who haven't watched it, um, then then you might not want to listen to that part of the show or come back to it. But yeah, I mean, there's lots to unpack. There's lots to get into. But every time, I mean, we'll wait for the review. I'll, I'll get into this a little bit more. But wow, I I was not expecting what I got. Let's just say that. Um, it's like you couldn't ahead. think it would get crazier, and then it gets crazier. Yeah, that's how I describe the show. Yeah, yeah. That's a really good way to describe. And at moments that you don't 100% expect, like close to the end of an episode, they did a real good job of um, giving those hooks at the end of an episode uh-huh. where I think it was episode two, one or two, where at the end, I'll get into a little more in the review, but at the end, someone says something, and I'll reveal what that is during the review portion because we'll keep the spoilers to there. And I went, wait, what? Like that to me, it came out of nowhere. I was like, "Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute! What just happened?" And then the episode ended. Rewind. Yeah, and I went, "Okay, hold on. I didn't hear that correctly. There's no way I heard it correctly. Yeah, no, I heard it correctly." And then the next episode begins. Like, wait a minute, what is happening here? Like, this took another turn that I wasn't expecting. So yeah, um, very interested to get into that. But let's kick off with some fan questions. 
Uh, just two yeah. for this week, because uh, again, Nikki, Lily, we are just going to bump you to next week, uh, and I think you'll appreciate it because we're talking about that movie anyway. Um, so Colt writes in and says, Hi, Screening in Kingston. I miss your weekly updates on film news. Is this the end of Not a Great Plan? Uh, well, Colt, there just isn't a lot of film news right now. Um, <laughs> that's kind of why we don't, we don't do headlines. Um, I mean, it's not the end. Film news will return at some yeah, point. Yeah, most of the news I find right now, it's just news of things being delayed. Which we which think is a good plan. <laughs> it's that, yeah. That, yeah. <laughs> there's not much to say, right? Like, yeah. we could rattle off all the movies that are, their production has been suspended, but there isn't anything for us. Yeah. We can't, I can't even speculate on when things are going to be back to normal. So it doesn't make a ton of sense. Although I'll keep my eyes um, more closely on entertainment news to see if there's any yeah. sort of interesting casting stuff that's going on because movies are going into production. Mm -hmm. Like movies are still being written and casted and, and everything. So I'll keep an eye. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I guess I was just, I was getting depressed. Just seeing all the movies being like delayed, delayed, canceled, yeah. postponed. And the idea of Not a Great Plan was to have fun with movie news. So yeah. it's not fun to kind of just delay, cancel. Like, we don't like that. And all, and frankly, it's probably the best plan because everyone's being safe. Um, not a oh, Great no, Plan was really yet. just to make fun of film news and, and our attachment to it. But hey, hey like, I, I'm with you there, Colt. Like, I mean, I, I, I love that segment and I love going through news and love laughing at things. But yeah, I mean... Taylor, you you can keep your eye open for stuff, but I don't think there's going to be much other than casting news. I do, I do have one um, varsity blues update. Varsity blues update. <laughs> oh, throw it up remember, right now. Let's go. Remember the uh, so the varsity blues scandal yeah. with all of those celebrities yeah. um, essentially cheating their way into getting their kids into school. Um, Aunt Becky from Fuller House, she will be doing jail time. She took a plea deal. She took a plea deal. There you go. There, there, so, there's uh, some not a great plan for you, Colt. There's a bit of a <laughs> news. She took the plea deal yeah. doing some jail time. So, I mean, it's, it's in a way, if you, you know, believe in justice, it's not very satisfying. Um, the original crime that she pled guilty to um, typically has up to 20 years in prison attached to it because it is oh. a felony. It was things like money laundering, like, Fraud by wire transfer, like yeah. pretty serious crime. Of course, she's serving two months. Two months. Yeah, that's it. Two months, and oh. I think her husband's doing five. Yeah. See, that's so, the thing about plea um, deals is they they get a bargain in there, and you end up getting you less than than what you would have in a full trial. You know, not a great plan. Not, not a great, great plan. plan that Aunt Becky. That's that's her <laughs> name on Fuller House, right? Yeah, Aunt or, Becky. Uh, yeah, is Aunt Becky. What? What's her? Laura what? Laura Laglin? Laglin? Yeah. Yeah. Laughlin. It's Laura Laughlin. That's that's how you say it. There Lachlan. we go. Yeah. So uh there there you go. There you have a poll. There's your one um update um for this week. Aunt Becky's going to jail. <laughs> And Tony Stark doesn't like it. Um, okay, next uh, next question, uh, as anyone who listens to this show knows, comes from Josh. Uh, so Josh uh, writes in and says, oh, hey, um, for both of you, what do you think the Oscars will be like this year? 
If movies continue to be delayed and not released, will the Oscars run as normal or will changes be made? Is there potential that, that they will not be held at all? Um, I saw some news on this actually maybe over a week ago where there's a, there is a definite chance that the Oscars just won't happen. Um, I, I think that if they keep delaying movies, it's going to be tough, but movies are still going to come out. Like we saw Tenant from Christopher Nolan has a release date now and they just dropped a second trailer and they're, they're trying to get it into to cinemas in July. It just all depends on what's happening really with the, the states first for their domestic gross, but uh, then, then the rest of the world after that. So I don't know. I mean, it, it all depends. If, if we're back into the movie theaters this summer, then I don't think um, I don't think necessarily the Oscars will be affected. But if this rolls into the fall, then yeah, there, there's going to be some hard decisions there. What, what do you the think? The Guardian Taylor? reported five days ago, Oscars 2020 will 21 likely to be postponed. Okay, postponed. Variety yeah. also um, six days ago was saying that um, it may be postponed and um, going to be fair six days ago. Okay. So there's a lot of, uh, and I remembered seeing these, like, like you said, about a week ago, the, the headlines coming out. Um, I think, I mean, Americans are stubborn. Like, seeing the things that are already open, like things in Florida, um, their, their lockdown is very different than Canada, and um, their reopening is very different than Canada, so people may very well be going to the movies in July and August. Um, I don't think Canadians will be, <laughs> um, but the Oscars don't really depend on um, foreign markets, right? No, so, it's all it's all um, domestic. So it really, actually, it all depends upon what happens in Los Angeles. Because to qualify for the Oscars, you just need to run in a theater in Los Angeles. Well, if, they, if that's the case, then then I would say it's going to be postponed because California is really hard hit. Yeah. And a couple of weeks ago, they extended their um, their shelter at home orders. Um, it seems like they're a little bit more in line with what is happening in Canada in terms of their sheltering at home. So, I mean, this is, again, pure speculation. This is why I've been staying away from not a great plan because so much of it is just, oh, what do you think? Oh, yeah, we're speculating based on nothing. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, based on nothing. Yeah, like a speck of dust, right? Like we in Ontario could very much be in lockdown um, like we were, like day one lockdown next week. For sure. The same thing could happen um, across the United States. So yeah. I, I'm going to say I don't think it's, I don't think we'll be having the Oscars in 2021. I think they should just cancel the year. Just cancel it. I, I would have, I would like to see them do something creative here, but I mean it won't happen. But um, you know, if it forces people to look at at movies maybe more closely um, and to look at look at there being less movies in a year so you can focus on them and and not get some of those misses that always happen it would have been nice to see um them do something even smaller but yeah i mean from what you're saying and from these reports i'd say postponing is probably what they're considering doing um and then just you know maybe maybe in the end they'll just scrap it and then you know we'll go into 2021 with with releases uh but i don't know it, it all depends if a second wave comes through and you end up getting lockdown again over the winter months, then yeah, anything is possible at that point. There just aren't going to be movies, in my opinion, 
to be voted for. You know what I mean? Like prime. I get. I don't know. I just. I just don't see there being enough films being released in 2020 to to warrant an Oscars in 2021. However, I could see Netflix doing their own award show. Yeah, the streaming services might be able to do something there. I could see Netflix trying to start to do that. Um, uh, do we really want to watch? Like, this is the even if even if we were going to do these award shows, I don't want to watch celebrities skyping in or zooming in from their houses. <laughs> there's a lot of people like, who do I, want to watch that, though. That's the thing. <laughs> like, there's a lot of people have, who will watch that. I, have, I think I have to use Zoom for work. I am so over Zoom. I would have no interest watching an award show that way. But I guess you're right. You're right, Mike. People, There are many people that would still watch it and maybe even more so than the regular Oscars. Oh, yeah. No doubt in my mind they would, make, they would make record in terms of their uh, actual, like, the, whoever's viewing, it would break a record, without a doubt. Because we could finally access it. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's A, it's very accessible, and B, people love nothing more than to look at the background of where celebrities are and what they're doing. Like, there's, there's no doubt in my mind that it would, it would do extremely well. I'm not saying it would be good, and, like, I don't necessarily want that either, but... That doesn't mean other people don't. <laughs> like, other people are going to go for it, definitely. I think that would likely, like, if the Oscars are going to happen, that's how it's going to be. Yeah, that makes sense. No, I think you make a really good point. Uh, his next question is for me. He says, would you rather watch Mamma Mia 2 or Her Smell every day for a month? Um, Mamma Mia, Mama Mia 2. 2. Because there's at least something in there like there's you know different actors and there's music and i feel like it's like gonna annoy you less it has a coherent <laughs> storyline at least that's true her smell has just a lot of things in it that just is like somebody watching something reminds me of first year film class which i took <laughs> when i was at school where like these kind of like really strange movies that you study have these odd sounds and background things that are kind of meant to test you in terms of like are you annoyed to what level whatever her smell has a lot of that where it's just like annoying and it get and it kind of gets to you and i feel like i would have a i would have some sort of a breakdown if i had to watch her smell um for an entire month but mama mia too yeah it's a co coherent story sorry coherent story and there's lots of actors in it who, um so you at least can be like oh i recognize this person it's nice to see them out and about um, which is nice. And, and um, the, the younger girl who they had play the young version of Meryl Streep, she's actually quite good. I'm, I'm actually a pretty big fan of her. So she's... Uh, she's, she's a baby talented. driver. Yeah, she's in Baby Driver. So she's talented. So that that's, you know, that there's at least something there. And the only thing you honestly have in her smell to go with is, is Elizabeth Moss, who's great, like fantastic actor. But... I, that's oh, yeah. it. That, that, that's the only redeeming quality you have in there. So yeah, I, I would definitely say Mamma Mia too, without a doubt. There you go. Uh, do you support remakes of older movies such as Disney's trend towards live action remakes and the remakes of Stephen King movies? Or do you think that a successful movie should be left on its own and not be, re be remade every 15 to 20 years? You have strong feelings on this, Taylor. I do. Uh, I have very strong feelings with the Disney because I think the movies they're making are just trash. Like, they're not, they're just not good movies. Um, I would, I, 
every so often when a movie is remade or it's rebooted, I think um, it can be good. Um, I think it should kind of be like a standalone film. Like I'm not so much into these reboots of a series per se. Yeah. Um, but like I'm obviously very, very protective of um, like intellectual property that I have like an emotional connection to. So like when I hear things like, oh, The Crow is being remade, I'm like, always super skeptical. Like just leave it alone. Like it's a good a good movie. It doesn't need to be remade. Yeah. Um, but like every so often it happens and it works. So I'm not saying like never like don't ever do it. Just like I'm not I'm not inherently opposed to the Disney remake. I just think that if they're gonna do it, they need to do it right. Like they keep adding yeah. things that it's like it's like Disney doesn't really understand um like what people liked about the original ones. Oh, for sure. And that's like that's the sense I get. But then again, you know, there are people who like these Disney remakes, so maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I don't know. I don't know. Like, I guess I'm not the right demographic for these remakes. But, like, my biggest contention with the Disney remakes is that um, they don't use musical theater songs when the songs were initially musical theater songs. Yeah. I think that's, like, my biggest issue is that these reboots, reboots have really um, bad music. Yeah. I did like the Cinderella, who... It, it's the girl from Mamma Mia too. Lily, Cinderella. yes, and Lily James. I I couldn't remember and her name. She's a talented singer. Yes, and and the thing that was to me separates Cinderella from the rest of them is that they expanded on things that could use expansion, and they kept things that worked, and they just kind of still made it an interesting story and an add on, and like there's more detail. Like they're at least adding something to it. Like they're they're trying to add things to it that enhances the story whereas sometimes like you're saying when when they add things that don't make sense and are kind of weird and like what's the point of this or just do a shot for shot remake like the lion king was what's the point what horrible yeah and, and, and the lion king lying i'm gonna say like the lion king is not a, a, the remake soundtrack is not good it's not as good as the original without a doubt and and the people they have singing they're, they're not, they don't get it. They're not singing it the way in which, like you're saying, where it's you sing like it's musical theater. They're just kind of singing it kind of like they're pop stars, which most of them are. So I, I don't think the music's particularly good um, in the in the Lion King remake. But yeah, Cinderella of all of them is my, fa- is, is my favorite of the remakes. It, it, it may be the only one that I really, really did enjoy because I think they enhanced in areas that they they should and they added some detail but it didn't take away from anything and it wasn't it wasn't a remake like there was a reason to do it um there were things yeah. that they could add and fix and tweak um so yeah i completely agree with everything you said if you can really pull off a remake do it if not why not just come up with your own project like come up with something unique yeah. and interesting put it together if you want to remake the crow come up with a crow like thing just don't call it the crow Come up with your own thing that's interesting and dark and maybe has that kind of anti-hero-ness to it and and go for it. Like the, don't don't rely on on just because you got the name you think you're going to sell tickets, which is what they're doing. Um, so yeah, I agree with everything you just said. Uh, the, his last question is for you, Taylor. 
What is your opinion on the point of view or found footage horror movies? Uh, he mentions such as Quarantine, uh, Paranormal, Paranormal Activity, or The Blair Witch Project. So what are your feeling on kind of the found footage horror movies? There's a brand new one, or it's not brand new, but it seems new to the internet, on Amazon Prime. That's making a lot of waves right now. Um, and let me just real quick Google the name of it. Was it an Amazon Prime original, or was this something in theaters? Um, hold on one second. Yeah, I mean, look it up because I, I'd just be interested to see if this is because uh, I know there's a lot of original content that goes there, but I don't know if it's one that has been out before. You're saying it's new to the internet. Maybe it's maybe it is new. Maybe it's a, a direct to streaming, which happens now a lot with releases. So okay, it's called Antrim, and it was originally made in 2018 okay. and did sort of the the festival circuit. And then I think it ended up, um, like, Amazon bought it. Gotcha. Or whatever. Like, it's, it's being distributed by Amazon. And um, I think Amazon bought it in 2019, but now it's become a TikTok phenomenon. <laughs> I don't know if you're familiar with TikTok. I mean, I know what TikTok but is, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> young, young people are daring each other to watch Antrim on, to watch the movie, because the movie is allegedly cursed. Interesting. That's, the, um, that's like the, it has this like, same way, it's, it's very similar to the Blair Witch. Like how, when you watch the Blair Witch, I mean now, like if you watch the Blair Witch in 2020, we know it's not real. Yeah. But when the Blair Witch came out in 1999 or whatever year, maybe it was even 97, when it came out, like you watch it and you almost didn't, you didn't know if it was fake or real. People had no idea. Yeah. yeah, like it looked, it looks so real, right? Like, it very much feels like a found footage film. So this Antrim is filmed very much in the same way where the setup of it is that it's found footage. This was a, a movie made in the 1970s. Um, someone has found it and has spliced um, a snuff film, like, within the film, and um, the movie has become cursed. So that's the, the premise of the movie, and I'm actually very interested to watch it. Like, this is, like... I have Amazon Prime. Eventually, when I'm not in my quarantine funk, um, <laughs> I will uh, watch Antrim. So, my thing, I, I like found footage films. Um, uh, I very much enjoy Blair Witch. I was not all of the paranormal activity movies are good. Some are kind of hit or miss, but um, the uh, initial paranormal activity movies were very good. I think, um, like, there's a sense maybe that the genre has been, is like beating a dead horse at this point. I think depending on how this Antrim is, this movie, um, I think if you can um, contribute something new to the genre, why not, right? Like I don't, um, I'm, I'm not opposed to seeing more found footage. Another really good found footage one is, we've talked about it before, The Last Exorcism. Yeah, I love that movie. How it's set up, how it's set up like a documentary. So I don't know. I'm I'm a fan of the genre. Um, is it sometimes hokey? Yes, but I think it adds that level of if you can suspend your disbelief and like really believe that these are um, found found footage. It does add that extra element of fear. I think, um, and when it's I'm into, like, kind of the lo-fi, like, it really does look like it's a VHS or whatever, then I'm all for it. So, 
I'm excited for this Antrim. Came on 2018, bought by Amazon, I think, in 2019, and is only now kind of um, gaining popularity. But it seems to be um, generating a lot of buzz. So I don't know if Josh um, is asking this question because of this Antrim. Um, if he's seen it, I would love to hear his thoughts or if he's planning on seeing it. Or if any one of our listeners have seen it, please let me know and um it's really, it sounds like it's really on my alley, like 1970s, like, Satanist. So, um, yeah, if it works, I'd say maybe it's an, a new addition to the found footage catalog. I think that you mentioned, because bringing up uh, The Last Exorcism, like, that's it's probably one of my favorite movies to rewatch at Halloween. Um, just because, like, you mentioned, like, bringing something new to the genre so to me that was like it's you're you're putting a found footage movie in with a documentary and kind of mixing it in and the fact that you kind of see it from the perspective of the people who are following this priest around and and the fact that he um is kind of doing fake exorcisms and then gets caught up in in a real one is is so like to me that's exactly what you're talking about like if you have something new to add to it then do it um, and I think that, that that's a great example of a movie that did something a little different with it. Um, and even uh, the, uh, the you, you brought this up a couple weeks ago, The Visit um, does that, I think, really well. Because one of the... Oh, with the webcam? Yeah, like with the, the webcam stuff and like kind of using different cameras. I think that that's huh. quite, uh, quite good when you can add different ways of, of using the camera in just a different way than, than oh, it's, it's just someone filming. Yes, it is, but then you can use a webcam and you can use all these other things. Um, I think they all do a, a great job with it. If you, yeah, if you can find something new, new and unique to do with it. Yeah. Um, so thank you so much, uh, Josh and Colt. And again, uh, we will uh, address Lily and Nikki's questions uh, next week uh, when we talk about the lovebirds. Um, before we get into Tiger King, I just want to quickly finish what I was trying to get to last week about uh, a Netflix series that I watched recently um, called uh, Hashtag Black AF. If you're interested in the film industry, for those listeners who like are just kind of interested in behind-the-scenes things, this, this show has a lot of scenes that, that are really based around the inner workings of the film and the, and the TV industry. So the main character is played by the, the real-life creator of the show Blackish, um, which I think is on ABC or one of the main networks. Um, yeah. So it's basically kind of an autobiographical show, except it's... I he's mean, playing it's, himself. He's playing himself, but they, he's cast his family. Like, there's Rashida Jones and all these right. people playing his family. Um, and the family dynamic's hilarious. Like, that's good, the good, like, sitcom kind of thing um, that, you know, some of, some of the humor won't be for everyone. But what's really interesting is there are scenes where he's sitting in a writer's room with his writers and they're pitching storylines and they're doing things to write for his show. And you get a real interesting inside look at some of the structural racism that exists within Hollywood from his perspective. Um, he's black. Um, it's kind of talking a lot about his cultural heritage throughout the entire series. But specifically, he, you know, unites and talks a lot with other black writers. Um, Tyler Perry it also plays himself. Um, in in the series and there's a really there's really great scenes where there's this one episode where he goes with his daughter and his wife to see this kind of new movie premiere from from a, a, another um, black writer and director and he hates the movie 
but everyone else seems to like it. But he hates it. Um, and it kind of goes... Ladybird. Yeah, pretty much you and Ladybird. And what's interesting is it paralleled a discussion we were having about supporting the female directors. And remember how we had someone write in and saying that we had some sort of bias against uh, Greta Gerwig. So it reminded me of that because he made an interesting point is that because he's of a minority in usually what has been historically a, a white and white male driven industry, he made the point of you have to still be critical of the work that a, a black filmmaker does because otherwise, how are we going to get better? That's kind of his quote is how are we going to get better if no one criticizes us? Because what he's saying is that people who are white are afraid. To criticize people who um, are within the minority feel like well you have to support us or we'll, we won't be here anymore and there's this amazing scene we're talking about webcams where he on a webcam is talking to all these amazing filmmakers like Ava DuVernay uh, Tyler Perry I'm pretty sure Ryan Coogler's in there but he doesn't really say much um, but he talks to all these black filmmakers and makes that point He's sort of talking to them, and they're more saying, well, no, like you have to support everything because there's so little of it out there, and without support, it'll go away. And he's saying, well, but if we're not critical of ourselves, no one else is going to do it. I thought it was a very interesting discussion, yeah. something worth visiting because we kind of touched upon it for female directors um, a little bit. So I just wanted to throw that out there. It's not, again, this show is definitely not for everyone, but if you're interested in the film industry, there's a couple episodes that really dive into it, and I found it fascinating. So I just wanted to throw that out there. Uh, it's another Netflix original series. Well, okay, um, Tiger King time. Um, this is what everyone's hello. tuned in for. So here we go. Um, where to begin? Uh, I mean, okay, again, first of all, spoiler alert, we are going to spoil and get into some spoiler talk in this, so you haven't seen Tiger King, um, now is your time to, to go watch it, pause us, come back, and, and listen to the rest of the show. Um, first and foremost, I just want to throw this out there, it's just a statement, Taylor, you can agree or disagree, um, Carol Baskin killed her husband. Oh, no question. Yeah, there's no question she killed her husband. <laughs> Absolutely, was, she I've, did it. <laughs> I've been seeing on Instagram ads for not so much now, but like when when it was when Tiger King was first kind of big, um, mugs that said "Good mor Good morning to everyone," but Carol Baskin. I want a mug that says that. <laughs> Good morning so, to everyone by Carol Baskin. That was one of the moments that I was teasing earlier where I'm pretty sure it was at the end of the second episode where where they're talking and they kind of talk about the, and then suddenly someone says, yeah, and she killed her husband and, and fed him t to tigers. <laughs> and then the like episode ends. It's such an yeah. off-handed comment. Just like, like a, oh yeah, <laughs> and you know, she washed her hands and then murdered her husband. Like that's just, you know, made dinner afterwards. Like it was so off-hand that that's the comment I went, wait a minute, what? I had no idea the, the, the series was going in that direction at all. I was like, wait a minute, what? Um, the police, the, they've gotten so many, the police in that community where she lives, um, there's been so much buzz because of the series. They've actually reopened the case. Not necessarily like against her. Yeah, but in but general. Like the, the cold, like the murder yeah. of her husband. But friends of mine were telling me about that earlier um, before I actually watched the series when, when they had that, that things had like popped up and, and that the cases were reopened. But I just, I didn't, even though I'm sure through like just 
memes and through seeing things like the, the Carol Baskin killed her husband thing. I'm sure I heard it before, but I wasn't thinking about it. And I kind of forgot it until the moment happened. And I went, wait a minute, what? Like I just, I didn't, I thought this was going to be really focusing on, on their rivalry, which it is. I mean, the rivalry between um, uh, her and, and, and Joe Exotic are, are at the center of this. But I I really didn't see the true crime stuff coming in as strongly as it did. Uh, there's a lot of things that popped up but with... the crazy... Like, the crazy thing is, the murder of her husband isn't even the true crime that the documentary is investigating. Oh, no, not at all. But it's <laughs> interesting that, that they... That you think it's going in that direction. It's like, that's where, like, oh, okay, now we're going to go into this. Oh, we're not? <laughs> like, it's nope. so weird. We have bigger fish to fry with this docu-series. Oh, and, and I got to say, again, you know, one of the moments that still I I was shocked about was um, was uh, Joe's uh, husband's death. Um, and, and the... Yeah, did not see that coming. No, and, and the talk fact about, that they had... Yes, the fact that they had this camera trained on the one dude, and all you see is re- his reaction. I was just yeah. what? Like I, there was another moment that just shocked me. Out of I was, wait a minute, what just happened? And I couldn't believe that the the story was getting more in depth and more, like it's it's almost as though you keep you get more layers thrown in this story. Just when you think this documentary, you have a handle on what's going on, something else happens, and it just throws you for a loop. Like that—that that was my viewing experience, Completely. without a doubt. Like it, it you know, I—I—I I, I did a little bit of, at your suggestion, I did a little bit of live tweeting um, on my first night, and then a little bit on the weekend as I was kind of going through the series. But it got really tough because every time they threw a new wrench in it, I—I kind of had to almost end the episode, pause, and go, okay, these are the things that happened. I think. And just make sure I was I was still understanding what was going on because there was so much happening in this in this documentary um, where things that I thought were going to be important ended up not really being important for the longest time. Um, like uh, the, the, right off the bat in in the again I think it was in the second or, or third episode where you have a, a member of their staff get mauled and their arm gets ripped off. And then, and then every time they're interviewing her, she's just sitting there with the half arm, just kind of like, yeah, I know. And then like Joe, you know, fed the tigers this day, and like, oh yeah, Carol, she's weird. And I'm just like, well, you don't have an arm. Like I couldn't believe that we weren't going back to that, and that wasn't something we were going to talk about. We we had bigger fish to fry. Yeah, yeah. Than poor the the poor zookeeper's arm. Well, yeah, and that's the thing. Like I found there were moments in the series that that took turns in the series and, and it kind of flowed really well into each other which is one thing i will say just about the the filmmaking craft itself like what i think the producers and the directors of this did a really good job with is you kind of start off in the first couple episodes in one thing and then you introduce carol and you and you you go into that detail but that leads you right into um uh jeff jeff Lowe. Uh, coming in because of the disagreement and then suddenly he arrives on the scene and <laughs> things take another turn like <laughs> but, and, but what i love about jeff lowe is like everyone you're introduced to you're like this person's bad and then yeah. the next person's like oh no that person's bad yeah and then you finally get to jeff lowe and you're like no, you're bad and and i like how again it was one of the i think it was one of the later episodes um like j- just after they introduced him, like four or five, like at the end of it, someone's like, and then he stole the zoo 
and the episode ends. <laughs> and I hope they did it again. What do you mean he stole the zoo? Like it, it happened again. Um, and I, I, I couldn't believe um, that uh, that the series was able to fit in all these different not storylines, but like aspects to the story that that were again that connected it. That even though the 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 murder of Carol's husband is not the true crime we're focusing on, the way they introduced it and were able to then segue into what she was doing, segue into the conflict with Joe, which introduced us to Jeff, like that that I thought was very good. Like I thought they did a really good job of stringing these stories yeah. together. Yeah. The one thing I wish that they, I mean, it's. Six episodes, right? Um, Six I think episodes. it's it's seven because the eighth episode okay. is that weird Joel McHale thing. Did you watch right. that? Yeah, the, like, I didn't interviews? watch. No, I didn't watch. It's it. not worth it. Uh, I okay. I love Joel McHale as an actor, but he's not as funny as he thinks he is. Um, so it's kind of awkward. Fair but enough. yeah, there's like seven <laughs> episodes that are part of the actual series. Okay, so I watched like the actual and skipped that. Um, there was I think I agree with you. They did a really great job of sort of weaving a tapestry while like introducing us to crazy storylines and wild people and it all worked. The one thing I wish they returned to, which hopefully will be addressed in the second series, because the filmmakers have talked about um, they have enough footage to do a follow-up. Well, I would imagine so. Yeah. I'm really hoping we get to go back to Doc Antle's weird sex yoga tiger cult. Yeah. That. I thought the, the whole stuff with Doc, I was like, wait a minute. He has all these kind of wives or women around and then they're like a cult. And then he, they were explaining it because they only took like one episode to kind of talk about his stuff. Yeah. So I agree with you. Like they could have gone in more because even when they were explaining it, they're like, well, I mean, it's not like a cult. They can leave. And then someone else chimes in is like, well, all cults, you're allowed to leave. <laughs> like it's just <laughs> that type of, of just – not banter because no one was ever in the same room, but they, they almost made it like responses and banter by way of cutting the interviews together and having different opinions. So yeah, I agree with you. I think there's more to hear from doc. Um, and yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they have a second series in there. Now I, as a content, more so than the, cause I thought the filmmaking was excellent and the actual like structure of the doc the well ending done. was good. The ending was good. Everything they did with it was great. Um, but content-wise, like, I don't know. I, I just, I don't know how much I, I I care to make more celebrities out of out of these people than, than it was before. I'm just, I'm, what I'm confused about. Here's the thing I'm confused about. Just as a, as a society when looking at, at films like this, there's a lot of, complaints and think pieces and thoughts and and even controversy around all of these true crime things especially when you interview the people who did murders or or what have you um should we give them a voice there's a lot of like series that have go under controversy but like tiger king just like swept the world's attention and everyone was so fascinated by it that i don't i I don't know i just i feel like people kind of overlooked that like if you're an animal lover i don't know if you should watch this series like I, I don't think you're gonna like the treatment of of these animals uh, as a part of it, and and I don't know what. I mean, there's probably a lot to be gained by by. There's a lot to learn, um, and there's a lot of money to be gained. But I don't know what what I would get individually by continuing to hear some of their stories. Like it's very strange 
I'm confused as to how this existed and I didn't hear anything about it until this series. Like as they were throwing out dates, early 2000s, I was I was just like, wait, wait that's not that long ago. This just happened. Um, I, I don't know. I, I That was my only kind of concern watching is there's so many moments where I'm like, oh, I don't like that. Um, but the filmmakers do such a great job, you, you can't turn away from it. I don't know if that's making sense to you, but those were some of the feelings I that I had. The concern of, like, the glorification of, like, crime or, like, giving villains kind of, like, a platform to speak. Like, I, I hear that, and I know you've brought it up before about mm-hmm. um, some of your misgivings about true crime. Personally, um, I don't have that problem, but I'm also a really big true crime fan. Yeah. And, like, we'll watch, like, a hundred documentaries about Ted Bundy. Um but, like, I also have the capacity to know that Ted Bundy is still a serial killer, um, and I'm not going to become a serial killer, nor do I think serial killers should be out and about. You know what I mean? Like, Yeah, know, you're not, you're not going to be persuaded to, by, by, oh, now Ted Bundy's a nice guy. That you're not going to, yeah. yeah. So no, like, when, I watch these, when I watch these documentaries, I think, like, in the case of Tiger King, in the case of Tiger King, I don't... For me, like, they don't, like, romanticize the exotic animal trade. Like, no, they don't. I don't, know, like, <laughs> they don't. You're true. That's so, very true. They don't yeah. romanticize it. Uh, I think they try to. Like, Joe Exotic does. Uh, he tries oh, yeah. to. But the filmmakers and do Ansel, not. for sure. <laughs> oh, like, for Ansel, sure. Like, <laughs> is, like, he's, like, a one-man show. But I don't know. Like, personally, I don't, I don't have that issue. Um... Just like I recently watched the R. Kelly documentary, I'm sure a lot could be said about not, um, not, you know, um, like by by giving R. Kelly a platform, we're still like by still having a conversation about R. Kelly, are we like condoning his actions? But the documentary that I watched about R. Kelly, the called Surviving R. Kelly, that miniseries that's now on Netflix. Um, again, like, I don't think it glorifies his crimes in any way. Like, if anything, um, it shows, like, why R. Kelly's bad. So, like, I don't know, with Tiger King, like, it shows why, like, exotic animals are bad. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Yeah. Like, you know what I'm trying to say? Like, no, I do know I what you're know. trying to say, and I, I actually do agree with you that the series does a pretty good job of that by doing nothing like the series all the series had to do was put a camera on and most of us can go this is this is crazy but joe exotic exists like this is not a fantasy so i always think if the, if there can be people out there who are like this who work for him who there's clearly this this animal trade is, is big then there's obviously going to be lots of people out there who look past everything and go oh like tiger's cute um but i do think the filmmakers do a pretty good job of just like showing us stuff and almost kind of looking at us going, look how ridiculous this is. Um, And I I don't, I hope that nobody out there goes and, okay, I'm going to now buy a tiger because of this series because I don't think that was the point either. Um, But it it, it is interesting to me to see what people really grab onto as, as really interesting. And I do think this is master filmmaking at its best. I think the reason why people like this series isn't even necessarily because of the content but how the content is is delivered to us and how well crafted every episode is where at the end they throw you something you're not expecting 
And as someone who during the pilot episode, during the first episode, I was like, okay, like I, I can see some interest here, but like, I don't understand why people like this. And then suddenly there's a shoot, like there's a, there's a shooting (laughs) range at the end of the episode and they throw something in there that makes me go, what is going on? Um, so I, I think that's part of the reason why people got so into this series. Um, but I don't remember hearing a lot about this guy when it was happening, other than the fact that it showed that showed a John Oliver clip when he wanted to run for president and I'm like, and I watched his show. So I think, I think I, I saw him make fun of him, In but some I thought, way, yeah, probably yeah but thought nothing of it because he seems to be crazy. Um, but yeah, I, I, it's so interesting and fascinating to me that all this was happening and I, I, I don't know much about it until now. It shows you how big the world is, even with the internet. Like sometimes it's hard to find things unless you're really dialed in. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that, that was interesting, uh, to me. Uh, the other thing that I thought was pretty good about the series is, is I thought they did a really good job of when they introduced a character, they took the time within each episode to, to dive into that character a little bit. So even though we only got like kind of the half episode about Doc, but we got like the half episode about him. We got the half episode that kind of goes into the background of, of Carol Baskin and where she was from. And then we, we get more about Jeff Lowe and where he was from. Like we learn a little bit about, um, Joe's two husbands and, and where they were came from his campaign manager I thought was even interesting like every character they introduce they they are able to give us something interesting and fascinating be like I want to know more about this person and where they're from so I like that there as well there was not there was not a single boring character no like literally everyone who got screen time could have their own documentary. That's how interesting they were. Though Howard Baskin <laughs> seemed a little un- unassuming. Well, yeah, but then you're like, well, why? Like, he's, he's married to Carol. The fact that he's, yeah, that's why he's interesting. <laughs> that's true. And, like when you show, and you, when they showed the pictures at their wedding, like him and that like caveman outfit. Yeah, yeah, that's true. He's on a leash. Like, I want to know the story. I want to know more about Howard. Every time Carol spoke, though, I was like, oh, she's crazy. Like, it's just every, like, just the look, just the way she looks, the look in her eye, and it's just like, wow, like, this is just getting, getting, like, everyone has this weird, dark side to them, and and that, whoo, that was like a a fascinating look at it, And, and to kind of even to to look back on on the series as a whole like i think the the storytelling and the journey is is what was most interesting to me and that's what i like the most about um any movie especially documentaries is tell a really good story and and have a really good journey throughout and that's kind of how i judge a documentary so i i can't help but say it, w- it was really well done um and and really well put together because it did captivate you and and hey it, as as much as i I don't think I particularly liked anybody as a person. I still was able to to dive into the emotion. Like you, you felt, at least from my perspective, you felt the emotion when when um, uh, Joe's husband uh, died. You felt that. Oh, for sure. Um, and yeah. I mean, again, it, it's very Nicolas Cage like for him to sing at the at the funeral. Um, as Joe Exotic did. Like, again, I can see Nicolas Cage doing this. It's like, I'm going to give this heartfelt speech and then I'm going to sing a song. Um, I thought that was so just 
wild, but but fit within the, who this person is and and the confidence that's confidence that's there. Um, and then yeah, the, the Jeff Lowe, oh, what a what a villain! Like what a, what a villainous character to jump in there and just I know from the beginning though. The minute he was introduced, I'm like, there's something up with this guy. Like this guy's a little a little <laughs> bit. There's a there's a edge to this guy. He's like I don't want to be derogatory, but like. He's the type of guy that, like, if he came into the gas station while I was, like, paying for gas, I'd try to get back into my car. Oh, for sure. It's, and that's the thing, though. (laughs) It's not even about just the way he looks. It's the aura he gives. Like, just what he gives off when he speaks and when when he's on camera. It's just like, whoa. (laughs) Like, it makes you step back. Wouldn't you agree? Like, it's everything about him. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He feels, like, the fact that none of them, like, censored themselves in front of the camera, like, or if that was how they, them censoring themselves, like, when he talked about his wife, oh, and how, yeah. like, oh, I'm getting a nanny, and the nanny, that has to be good looking, like, that was just him being, like, if that's him on his best behavior, like, ugh. I imagine that they, they, in their own mind, censored themselves. Like, in their own mind, that was them on their best behavior. Um, so I'm sure that, that he's even worse than that. Um, because even, like, you saw it when, um, when Joe was being dragged around the cage by the tigers and him swearing at the tigers and threatening to shoot them. It's like the walls come down. And like that's yeah. a real moment. Like you, you, and they people talked about his temper and and you know you see those real moments that they capture, and I'm sure that that's just you know you 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 censor yourself to a certain extent for camera. And I bet you that in Jeff Lowe's mind, he what he was saying was the censored down version of what he would have said. So yeah, I mean I, I, every time he so he'd talk, oh yeah, he's so creepy in everything he does. Um, but yeah, what what was your kind of just quickly because um, we only have a few minutes left. I, I just wanted to get your your general overall like what did you think of the series? Because I know you've mentioned and talked about it a little bit within here, but but just to kind of clarify where where you stand, like were you kind of feeling the same things in terms of you were thoroughly entertained and the way that they structured this documentary was was interesting? Like were you hooked by the end of every episode? Oh no question. Like they, I was in the same boat where, you know, you're watching the, you feel like you have a grip on the story, you know, you know who the villain is or whatever. And then they would just drop that line at the end of an episode and it would just be like, I have to watch the next episode. Like, how can this possibly, where can this possibly go from here? Yeah. Like, you know, so, um, I found it completely riveting. Some people probably would find it maybe borderline sensational or not even borderline just outright sensational i'll be honest like i'm 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 not opposed to that kind of television you know i watched honey boo boo when honey boo boo was on tv um (laughs) there's a lot to be said about you know are we is this poverty tourism right like these um sort of some of these people especially the people who worked for joe exotic um are essentially you know down on their luck ex convicts, drug addicts, we're looking at, like, real poverty, when when we're following this story of, like, Joe Exotic's employees, we're looking at genuine um, poverty, Yes. Um, and so, like, should we, like, you know, I think as long as you're able to um, look at that stuff 
critically and sort of begin to to ask yourself questions about poverty and how it's portrayed. Um, I think it's okay to watch that kind of stuff. I mean, you could make the case that Honey Boo Boo exploited that family, and maybe the filmmakers were exploiting Joe, Joe Exotic's um, co-workers yeah. um, because of... Yeah. Uh, but I think if you're able to start having those those dialogues, it's not necessarily, you know, you can still watch these things and not feel guilty. I yeah. know that I don't feel guilty, but I'm also able to engage um, with it on kind of a critical level, um, just about, um, yeah, discussions yeah. about poverty and class structure and things like that. Yeah. Um, from start to finish, though, I'm not going to lie, I, I thoroughly enjoyed myself, <laughs> like, um, complete roller coaster. I would <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> finish, finish an ep- episode, update Dan, just like sh- try to debrief. Um, for me, it's definitely a watch it. Um, and I think it, I hope it does maybe have people kind of start thinking about how um, certain sort of um, underground. Uh, social groups are portrayed, whether it be yeah. extreme poverty or the fact that this is sort of like um, uh, this is sort of like an expose into an alternative lifestyle. Yeah, um, it really reminded like I grew up watching a lot of TLC, so things like Honey Boo Boo and you know um, My Secret Addiction or all of these things that are sort of um, it's looking at an aspect of society that is very different from us. Um, so I don't know, like, this is kind of in my wheelhouse, this type of document documentary, it reminds me very much of the TLC documentaries, like, um, you know, Sister Wives and things like that. Um, I don't know. At the end of the day, for me, this is a watch it. Know that you're going in for a crazy ride. Um, if you're an animal lover, you might find it very difficult to watch. Yeah. Um, but I just think the story is so compelling. Like, it is just... Yeah. It is just a story ripped from the headline. Like, you won't even believe... You can't believe it until you watch it yourself. Yeah, I honestly, you don't believe your eyes uh, until... And, and it just keeps going, and it's it's not fiction. It's it's a documentary, and it's just so hard to believe. And I like what you're saying in terms of... I, I think I, I completely agree with you that, you know, if you're going to feel that, that sympathy or, or someone's being exploited, it, it's more within the people who work for Joe because Joe Exotic, Carol Baskin, like they had web series and TV series of their own. They want the spotlight. Um, so yeah. it doesn't make me feel bad to have them looked at in this way and in, in this public image. But yeah, you're talking about the, the a lot of the other people are being exploited and, and you know, who are part of, of his zoo or or docs or, or whoever so no you, you make a really interesting point there and, and yeah I think that uh, looking at, at Tiger King in general it's just such a powerful documentary and I think that for me I, I'm kind of in the same spot of you like go watch it but know in in everyone within yourself you have to know what you like and you have to know what what you think you can handle and some people won't be able to handle some of the content within this documentary but Overall, I agree with you. I, I really enjoyed just w- going on this wild ride, and I thought it was extremely well done. So yeah, Tiger King, for me, it's the same. Go, go watch it if, if you think it's it sounds like something you're going to be interested in, um, but if you know, be weary of some of these things that we're, we're warning you about. Um, and I think just remember that like 
my point about sort of that poverty tourism, I think if you just keep in mind that when you watch documentaries or series like this, that they're just like re- real people. You know what I mean? Like yeah. at the end of the day, we just have to remember that, you know, these aren't circus people that we're gawking at. Like they have their own lives and backstories. So I think it's one thing to kind of, um, Joe Exotic and Carol Baskin, they're so larger than life, they don't feel real, but like the, the co-workers, like the employees, um, I think we just have to remember, keep in mind that these are real people, right? So yeah, I agree. That would be my one advice, um, just if you're going to engage with the series on a more critical level. Yeah. Oh, um, absolutely. Yeah. No, it's definitely a good thing to, to keep in mind. Um, and that's the thing about documentaries that, that are different. They, we, these are real people. Like, it's not fiction. Um, and it's important to, to kind of keep that in mind. Uh, speaking of fiction, though, uh, it was interesting that a few weeks ago we got news that they are making a mini series based on this, starring Nicolas Cage. Um, and Taylor, you gave me a challenge uh, to cast the rest of that mini series. Um, yes. And uh, it was an interesting challenge because these characters at times seem larger than life. Like, this is the thing. You got real people who seem larger than life, who, who seem to be caricatures within, within themselves, which made it actually really interesting because you could go anywhere with that when looking at who should play who. Um, but it also comes into question, like, you got to be pretty talented and you got to be the right person to fit in this. Like, again, I, uh, Nicolas Cage, to me, makes the most sense. I can't see anyone else playing that role and doing all the things... Um, that makes Joe Exotic Joe Exotic because he's such a unique individual. Like, it, it has to be Nicolas Cage. For sure. Um, okay, so uh, I, I decided to kind of stick to some of the characters that I think would be kind of the main focal points. So yeah. I, I kind of have... I kind of have six here and then some thoughts on, on others. But uh, so, again, aside from the fact that Joe Exotic is going to be Nicolas Cage, um, I decided for Carol Baskin, I went with Annette Benning. So there were times when Carol Baskin would speak, mainly in her talking heads, that something about her voice sounded very familiar to me. And it wasn't until later that I realized that she sounds a lot like Annette Benning at times. And Annette Benning is an actor who I think is an extremely talented and could definitely pull off the role. Um, and she's, she's been in a ton of movies. And because this will probably be one of those high-priced miniseries, I, I feel like you could get her to do it. So Annette Benning is my Carol Baskin pick. Um, Kate McKinnon is also um, attached to a Tiger King adaption. Um, Kate McKinnon. I don't know if, it, yeah, I don't know if it's the same one as um, Nick Cage, but she's set. She's attached to the role of Carol Baskin. Kate hmm. McKinnon. I okay. Kate McKinnon is very funny, but but she's funny with the one thing she does. Like, uh, the only thing I would be weary of is, is this just going to be a Carol Baskin, like, imitation? Which I think, it all depends upon the tone. If the series is supposed to be just an outright comedy, then yeah, go for a Kate McKinnon. I was kind of taking it down more the road of, it's kind of somewhat of a drama slash comedy. Like, it's got funny elements to it. That's how I see it. But but the characters, to me, have to believe that it's real and have to be really invested. And 
I'm sorry, but Kate McKinnon's not someone who's an invested actor. Like, Kate McKinnon makes fun of things, and she does a great job in Saturday Night Live, but every movie I've seen her in, she's just playing a parody or a joke. Like, I, I just it's don't like know. Yes, she's it's a bit. a bit. Yeah, she's doing a bit. And I don't like her. Like, the, the bit she does, I don't think it's funny. Like, you can't just make goofy faces. Like, you just, it's what Adam Sandler does in the movies that, that are terrible. Like, he's a very good actor, but only in certain films. I'm sure she will be as well, but probably needs that opportunity that she maybe hasn't gotten yet. Um, but, yeah, I haven't seen that out of her. So, yeah, I don't know about that. Um, the next person that I cast was uh, Joe's producer, Rick. Just because yeah. I thought that'd be a big part of the story of, of his TV show existing in that, and I find that fascinating. Uh-huh. Um, so I went with uh, John Malkovich, even though I don't think John Malkovich is a particularly good actor. I think he'd be perfect in this role. I can see him in the cowboy hat. He's kind of an older guy. I could see him playing off of Nick Cage in that role. So I went with John Malkovich. Like the deadpan. Yes, I like kind of definitely. That deadpan, yeah. Like, resigned to the the action that's happening yeah yeah uh i definitely think that that would be um really interesting and so i went with john malkovich for that um for doc i thought that they'd expand on on doc's role so i cast a pretty big name um in there so i went with john goodman to play doc um i think that john goodman has both comedic and drama sides to him i think he's um one of those actors that you could believe kind of the the craziness that is Doc's story. I mean, Doc's the one, just for people who don't remember, he's got the kind of cult thing going on. <laughs> so I don't know. It, it might be very interesting to kind of see, for me, John Goodman in that role. And it's a, he's a guy who's done television and movies. So, so far, all the people I've picked would probably sign on to this type of movie. I don't think it's a stretch to get kind of those types um, of roles in there. Um, before I, I cast Jeff Lowe, I, I wanted to throw in an example of the, the type of actors I'd want for some of the other like smaller parts. So, so Eric, uh-huh. who was the longer haired guy who worked for Joe, who probably got like the most amount of screen time of, of everyone who works for Joe. Um, I picked, uh, Cillian Murphy, whom people might know from like, he was in the Dark Knight series. Uh, he, he played the... Peaky Blinders. Yeah, Peaky Blinders, 28 Days Later, uh, Red Eye. Like, he's done an Inception. He's done a lot of films, uh, and he's such a phenomenal actor. Uh, again, put him in a, in a really long wig. I feel like he'd be amazing in that type of role. Because for, like, Joe's husbands and a lot of the people who, who work for him, I, I think you'd want some unknowns. Like you, And you'd have to, because if, if you're paying Nick Cage all this money, like, I think you'd need some unknowns to play... A lot of those roles, but I, I do think it, you know you you always want to throw in that recognizable person within the bunch, um, and I think Cillian Murphy would be a really good pick um, for Jeff Lowe. I this is the only one where I went another big ticket like Annette Benning and, and Nick Cage. I needed to find somebody who could work off of um, Nick Cage's energy, and I, I I was struggling. I was like, okay, who can I find who is Nick? can go to Nick Cage's level because to me if you you have Jeff Lowe in there he's probably going to be 
the main antagonist when all said and done. So I wanted to see yeah. how, who can I get someone. So I, I went with Jared Leto <laughs> because I thought <laughs> I can't think of anyone who's as Nick Cagey as Jared Leto is. Like, I think it's Jared Leto's the only one I could think of that like, okay, he, he would match his, his energy the level. Intensity. Yes. Yeah. And, and Jared Leto's kind of an, an oddball in and of himself. And I just feel like he would, knock that role out of the park. All right. So that, that's my cast. I've, I've got Annette Benning to play Carol Baskin, John Malkovich to play Rick, who is Joe's producer, uh, Cillian Murphy to play Eric, John Goodman's going to play Doc, and then Jared Leto playing Jeff Lowe. So that's kind of my... I took the main sort of roles there. I do think that I, I considered, and I was looking to cast uh, uh, the the two guys who were Joe's husbands, um, but but I decided that I think that unknowns is where you'd probably go for that in some of the younger roles. Um, there was a few other actors I was I was considering for for various different roles, but I kind of decided to stick to those six um, and think about those. So there you go. That's that's my fan casting. Um, for, like for that series, yeah, I, I'm gonna be very curious to see who's in this thing because Nick Cage is a is at the center of it, and that's just that blows my mind. <laughs> any any project now that Nick Cage is attached to is interesting. Yeah, and then you add and then you add Tiger King, and you think, well, it's gonna be something. Either you know whether it's good or bad, it's gonna be something. So yeah. it'll be worth watching. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, and, I, and I do think that it's going to be interesting to see where they take the series because there's so many different time points that were brought up that were interesting in that documentary. I feel like you could go anywhere. Like you, you want to see the, the Carol Baskin uh, rivalry with Joe, but you also want to see all the Jeff Lowe stuff. You want to see uh, what's going on with Doc. Like I, I feel like there's so much you want to get into that it's going to be interesting to see how many episodes this series is and what they decide to focus on. So I, I'm fascinated enough to, to tune in again and see what they do with it. Oh, no question. Well, thank you everyone so much for joining us. That was our Tiger King episode. Just a reminder, uh, tune in next week for our first new movie review in what seemed like forever. Um, as uh, Taylor, you're going to watch The Lovebirds, uh, which will yeah. be, it'll be interesting to see what your your thoughts are on the first movie uh, that we've we've been able to review in, in a very long time. That's new, at least. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much, everyone, for joining us. Go stream some movies. Thank you for listening to the Screening in Kingston podcast, recorded at CFRC at Queen's University in Kingston, Ontario. Queen's University sits on the traditional lands of the Haudenosaunee and Anishabi peoples. We would like to thank the Faculty of Engineering and Applied Sciences and the CFRC Podcast Network.